Dr. Kaylin Mosholder, would you please welcome her today? Thank you. Good morning, everybody. If you're new to the church and you don't know us all that well yet, uh, he, I'm his favorite pastor because I'm his daughter, so he's a little bit biased. <laughs> Um, but I'm so excited to share with you this morning. Before I get started, would you just pray with me? Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. You are already here, God. You've already been at work in people's lives this morning. But we just um, focus ourselves onto you this morning, Lord God, that people would not only just hear the words that are coming out of my mouth, but that they would hear from you today, God, that you would touch people's hearts and change people's lives, God. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we have been in a series for the past several weeks called When God Hits Pause. And we've been hearing stories about different characters from the Bible that the Lord has put through seasons of waiting. And uh, basically, these characters have all thought that they had a plan, and then God was like, mm, we're just going to wait a little bit longer here. I have more that I want to teach you in this season of your life. Um, one of the points that, um, that Pastor Tim made in one of his messages recently was that when we go through pauses, we need to remind, be reminded that God is not in a rush, and that is so countercultural. Our culture is so used to be to being in a rush, and I am often in a rush. I was actually uh, just reading a book recently that totally convicted me because this book said that sometimes we are in a rush when we have no plans, no schedule. There's no reason we need to be in a rush. And that's so true. Sometimes I'm like on my way to the grocery store and I don't have any schedule for the rest of my day. It's my, it's my day off. I can take my time at the grocery store, but I'm on my way and a big semi gets in front of me and it's going really slow. And I'm like, come on, I got places to be. I don't really have anywhere to be. Uh, I can I can slow down, but it's our culture. We've been raised in a place where it's common for us to just rush from place to place to place and not to slow down and just let everybody merge in front of you and take a really long time at the stoplight, you know? <laughs> so I uh, was reading an article recently, and the article was called 11 Things we hate waiting for, and how long we'll wait before freaking out. Okay, so I want, I'm going to list a few of them for you, but the first one I want to illustrate, okay? So I want to have everybody close your eyes. Imagine that you're driving in a car, and you're coming to a red light. The light is red, and there's somebody stopped in front of you. Now, the light turns green, but the person in front of you doesn't move. Okay, so now I'm going to count the normal amount of time that somebody waits before freaking out. All right, so the light has turned green. They're not moving. Ready? One, two, three, four, five. Still not moving. Six, seven. Eight, nine, ten. Okay. <laughs> 
How many of you guys were anxious just in that fake scenario? I was. I freak out about second four. <laughs> After four seconds, I'm like, nope, nope, go, honk, honk. All right. So the average somebody waits for uh, before freaking out when somebody stopped at a green light is five to ten seconds. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So another one is waiting for someone to stop talking at a movie. Before freaking out, the normal response was that somebody would wait 26 seconds. Yeah. I know. It's kind of shocking, huh? I would be like, shh, after like the first little whisper, <laughs> like, quiet. <laughs> um, okay, another one. And I think that this one is probably wrong. But this one is says that bosses will wait for their employees to show up for work and if they, they will have grace up to four minutes late, and then they'll freak out. I don't know, though. I think that some people have jobs where they're like, uh, the boss will be, freak out if they're like one second late. My boss is pretty cool, though. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, okay, another thing is waiting for a significant other to get ready for a date. People that are in a relationship will most commonly wait 21 minutes. Yeah. It's a long time. I, I don't think my fiancé would wait that long for me. Be like, I'll be in the car. <laughs> um, and then the last one that I'm going to share with you today is waiting in line at Starbucks. People will wait in line for seven minutes before freaking out. So we are in a culture <laughs> where we are are programmed to not wait very long. I think some of these are actually very generous. I think that most people won't wait as long as these. But we're in a culture where we don't want to wait for things. We want what we want right now. And if you've ever been around a hungry toddler at lunchtime, I think you probably know what I'm talking about. They don't want to wait for you to spread that peanut butter and jelly on the sandwich. And then God forbid you give them like too much peanut butter and they freak out. They want what they want, exactly how they want it and when they want it. And we as adults are very, very similar. We don't want to wait for somebody to go at a green light. It's like, the light's green, go. <laughs> we don't want to wait for you. But at the same time, we're in a world that tells us that patience is a virtue. But a lot of people don't have patience active in their lives. And the Bible tells us that patience is a fruit of the Spirit. And so it's something that we have to cultivate in ourselves. We need to practice patience. In a book that I was reading for school recently, it was talking about how the sense of the need to hurry can really affect our lives as Christians. And this is what it says. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Hurry can destroy our souls. Hurry can keep us from living well. For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. 
Hurry is the great enemy of our spiritual life. If we don't slow down to allow God to work out his processes in us, we are jipping ourselves from everything that God has. If we don't slow down to read the Bible and we just skim and read the headings, what are we really getting out of that? If we don't slow down and listen to God in our times of prayer, we're not going to get what he has for us. So today, we're going to look at another story from the Bible about a man who went through significant periods of pausing. We're going to look at the story of Jacob. But his story actually starts with his grandfather. His grandfather was a man named Abraham. And Abraham went through a very long season of pause in his life as well, but he was obedient to God. And so God made a promise to him in Genesis 22, 16 through 18. And this is what it says. I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond, measure, beyond number. Like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed all because you have obeyed me. So God made this promise to Abraham. And Abraham was obedient to God. So Abraham and his wife had a son named Isaac. And God promised. He said that I'm going to make your descendants beyond number. And so Isaac also had a wife. And they had children. And their two sons were named Esau and Jacob. They were twins. And today we're talking about the story of Jacob. So these two twins, the mother conceived and they were in the womb and they were already fighting. And the mother's name was Rebecca and she went to God and said, what is happening inside me? And, and God told her, your two sons are going to become two separate nations. And your younger son will rule over your older son. And so Rebecca prepared to give birth. And when she gave birth, Esau came out first. And Esau, as he grew up, he became a hunter. And his dad really liked the food that he made from his hunting. So his dad, Isaac, loved Esau more than Jacob. However, Rebecca remembered what God had said to her when she was pregnant, and she loved Jacob more than Esau. So when Isaac was getting really old, he was becoming blind, he went to Esau and said, prepare a meal for me, and I'm going to give you the blessing that is your right because you were the firstborn. But Rebecca overheard this, and she said, no, God said that Jacob was going to be the one that's going to rule over Esau. So we're going to trick his father, Isaac, and give Jacob the blessing. And so Rebecca encouraged her son to lie to his father and to deceive his father. And he did. His father asked him multiple times, which son are you? Are you Esau or Jacob? And Jacob lied every single time and said, I'm Esau. Because he wanted that blessing as well. And so Isaac blessed Jacob. He gave him the blessing that was meant for the firstborn. 
and he said to Jacob that you will rule over your brothers. And when Esau found out about this, when Esau found out about the deceit and how Jacob had stolen his blessing, he freaked out and he said, I am going to kill my brother as soon as my father dies. He was planning to murder his twin brother, but Rebecca, the mother, said, I don't want Jacob to die, so we're going to send him to my brother's house, and he's going to live there. He's going to hide away from his brother Esau, and he's going to find a wife. So Jacob left the home of his parents, and he went to go live with his uncle. And this is where his great seasons of pause began. But before that, God spoke his promise to Jacob. In a dream, God showed up to Jacob, and this is what it says in Genesis 28, 14 through 15. It says, your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. Once more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day, I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. So this promise that God gave to Jacob was really similar to the promise that God gave to his grandfather, Abraham. He's saying, I'm going to give you so many descendants that you won't even be able to count them. And from your descendants, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. And God promises that he is going to be with Jacob wherever he goes. So now Jacob goes on to live with his uncle. And we're going to pick up his story in Genesis 29. And this is what it says. It says, now Laban had two daughters. The older daughter was named Leah, and the younger one was Rachel. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I'll work for you for seven years if you will give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. Agreed, Laban replied. I'll give her to you. No, sorry. I'd rather give her to you than to anyone else. Stay and work with me. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. And everyone said, aww. <laughs> so this was pause number one for Jacob. He chose to wait for seven years. He told Rachel's father, Laban, I will work for you for seven years. He made that decision. And sometimes we as people are willing to go through pauses. We are willing to wait for things if we think the outcome is going to be worth it. So for example, some people would rather wait to have a barbecued steak delicious. They'd probably wait like up to an hour at a fancy restaurant instead of going to McDonald's and getting some chicken nuggets. Okay. So they decided in their minds, the outcome is going to be worth it for me to wait. Another thing that people decide to wait for is to earn a college degree. 
They say the outcome is going to be worth it once I have this degree and I have more opportunities for jobs in the future than to just drop out where I am. Some people like to knit and they decide the outcome is going to be greater for me if I hand knit a sweater for someone instead of going and buying one from a store. Okay, so people do make their own choices to wait, but they don't always look the same as God's pauses that he has for us. We choose our pauses, and they can be very different from God's pauses. So this is my first point and the first lesson that we can learn from Jacob is that our schedule is different than God's schedule. (laughs) In Proverbs 16:9 it says that we can make our plans but the Lord determines our steps. Meaning we can make all the schedules we want, but God is the one that is going to cause them to come to pass or not. He can say, "I want you to wait a little bit longer here," but you're like, "I planned it this way." And he's like, "Well, but I'm God, so I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to keep you here." We can make all of our plans and all of our schedules, but God can still choose to slow us down even more than we expected. And this is what we see happen in Jacob's life. Jacob chose to wait seven years to work to marry Rachel. And Laban, Rachel's father, agreed to those terms. However, after seven years, Laban decided to trick Jacob. So what we see happen in the story in the Bible is that the time has come, the seven years has passed, he's worked the seven years for Rachel, the time has come for him to get married, they prepare the wedding, he gets married to who he thinks is Rachel, and then he goes to sleep, and then in the morning, he wakes up and realizes that he has married Leah, the older daughter, the one that didn't have any sparkle in her eyes. <laughs> He's like turning over in the morning, I'm going to wake up to this beautiful face, there's no sparkle, I don't know what to do. Um, so he goes, he goes to Laban, and this is what it says in Genesis 29, 25 through 27. He says, what have you done to me? Jacob raged at Laban. I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? It's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, Laban replied. But wait until the bridal week is over, then we'll give you Rachel too, provided you promise to work another seven years for me. So, Jacob was like, I signed up for seven years to give me the wife with the sparkle in her eyes, and you tricked me. So, we see here how Jacob was the one that was known in his family as being deceitful and tricking his brother and tricking his father. And now, he's coming in front of a situation where somebody has tricked him, and he doesn't know what to do about it. This is the second point and the second lesson that we can learn from Jacob's pausing is that God uses pauses to deal with our character. If Jacob had gotten what he wanted at the time that he wanted it, he chose those seven years. If he had gotten Rachel at those seven years and not had to work anymore, 
I don't know if he would have learned his lesson about having a character of integrity and not lying and not cheating people out from what was rightfully theirs. If God had not said, "Mm, I'm going to use Laban to put him in a situation that he's not comfortable with. A lot of times, people in our day and age can blame things on karma. But God does not deal in karma. He deals with our character. We can say we go to work and we are rude to our boss. And then the next day, our boss is rude back to us. And we're like, oh, well, I shouldn't be rude. There's karma. Shouldn't have been rude. But what is God teaching us in that situation? He's probably teaching us to grow this, the fruit of the spirit of kindness. It's not karma that you're going to get what's coming to you. No, it's God saying, let's deal with this in you right now. When we break a promise to someone, and then they break a promise right back to us, and we say, oh, well, I, I should have known that was coming, karma. No, what is God teaching us in that moment? He's saying, let's learn about the importance of being faithful. God always is dealing with our character. And he, sometimes he uses pauses to do that because it puts us in an uncomfortable situation where we really have to deal with what's inside of ourselves. For Jacob, God had an incredible plan for him. He wanted to bless his descendants. He wanted to make them rule over nations. But he knew that he had to deal with Jacob's character first because Jacob wasn't ready. Jacob wasn't ready for the promise that God had for him. He had to deal with Jacob's heart. In this same moment, we can learn another lesson from Jacob's life. Jacob was willing to work the second seven years because he didn't want to settle for what was not promised for him. He could have said, I worked the seven years. You gave me Leah. She's not as pretty, but God can still fulfill his promise to me of blessing my descendants and everything through Leah. So I'm not going to work anymore. This is too much work for me. I'm done. He could have said that. However, We learn from his lesson that he did not stop working. He chose to work to receive the promise. And so we learn also from Jacob that God uses pauses to teach us to persevere. He doesn't want us to give up halfway to the promise. He wants us to go all the way. And we see that in Jacob's life. Jacob was given Leah because he promised to work another seven years. Or I'm sorry, he was given Rachel. I'm sorry. Because he promised to work another seven years. And we're going to learn more, I think, next week about the son that Rachel had. Rachel had a son named Jacob. And, or I'm sorry, (laughs) Joseph. A lot of J's. Um, Rachel had a son named Joseph. And Joseph was instrumental in the plan that God had to save his people. And so if Jacob 
had given up halfway and said, I'll just settle for Leah because I don't want to work anymore, we would not have seen all that God had wanted to do because we needed him to marry Rachel so that she, she could have Joseph. It was all part of God's plan. God saw it all and he caused Jacob to have the strength to persevere even when it was uncomfortable. And I know that this has happened a lot in my life as well. One story that I remember is when I graduated high school, I decided to put college on hold because I really felt like God was calling me to serve in a church. So I moved a couple hours away from home, and I went to serve in this church, and they had a program set up that uh, college-age students could come and serve for a year inside the church, and then every year you could basically decide if you were going to come back and serve for another year or if you were going to go and do something else with your life. And so I signed up for one year, and I was like, I'm going to give God one year. I'm going to serve him with everything that I am. And after that year, I'm going to go to college. That was my plan. But after every year, I went to God and say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And every year, God said, I want you to keep serving me. I want you to go back to this church and continue to serve me. And my parents were super supportive of me. And they said, you listen to God. You be obedient to God. But I did have people in my life, relatives even, that were saying, no, that is not a good choice. You need to go to school. God can do stuff through you in school, so you should just go to college and you can serve God in a church later. But I decided that I was going to listen to God. I wasn't going to give in to the pressure of my other relatives and people that had other ideas for my life. I said, no, I'm going to be obedient to what God's telling me, and I'm going to continue to serve, and I'm going to wait to go to college later. And it wasn't until my third year of serving in this church that I was put in a place where I started to lead worship for a junior high youth group. If I had not stayed and served in that church, I don't know if I would be at the point in my life where I could get up here and lead worship for you guys today. If I had not stayed where God was wanting me to stay, if I had not paused and waited for God to do what he wanted to do, if I hadn't persevered, because the work was hard. I was barely sleeping. I had a lot to do when I was serving this church. But I decided I'm going to stay. And God was faithful to me. And he prepared me for what he had for me in the future. Not only did I start leading worship, but I was also called to the mission field in that third year of me serving at that church. And when I went on the mission field, that's where I started learning Spanish. And God knew that I needed to go so that I could learn Spanish, so that I could be used here in Santa Maria. My Spanish is not perfect, I will admit, but... <laughs> But I started learning, and God has used that incredibly in my life here. If I would not have waited and said, God, I'm going to be obedient to you. I'm going to keep serving you in this church. I wanted to go to college. I wanted to get on with my life. But I said, no, I'm going to wait. And God has blessed that. 
So God uses those pauses to teach us to persevere, to not give up halfway to the promise. God has perfect timing and a perfect plan for us. Like we said earlier, we can make all of our plans, but God's plan is the one that's going to come to pass. And the encouragement that I get from Galatians 6, verse 9, it says this, So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. God wants us to persevere so that he can bless us in abundance. He wants us to reap that harvest of blessing if we don't give up, if we continue doing what is good, if we continue listening to him, if we continue being obedient. And because Jacob did not give up, he decided to work another four, seven years, so that's 14 years in total. He did not return to being deceitful in that time. He served his father-in-law Laban faithfully, and God blessed him during that time with many children. However, that is not the end of Jacob's pausing. After 14 years, he went to his father-in-law and he said, I need to start making a living for myself. I need to be able to provide for this family and these bunch of kids that I have now. So we need to work out a deal. And so they made a deal that Laban was going to pay him from certain sheep that were marked with spots and striped and things like that. And so Jacob said, okay, I'll work for you for another six years if I get to keep those sheep that have like those defects. And Laban said, okay, that's a good, that's a good compromise. We'll go with that. But Laban continued being deceitful and lying. And he took all of the sheep that he promised to Jacob and gave them to his other sons. And he said, you take them far away. We don't really want Jacob to have these. So Jacob worked for another 16, sorry, another six years for Laban, even though he was deceitful and lied. But God blessed him greatly. God provided in miraculous ways for him to have those sheep that were promised to him. God caused these sheep to have babies and babies and babies. And he had a huge flock by the time the six years was over when Laban had planned for him to have nothing. So God had Jacob on the, in this pause for 20 years. Seven years for Rachel, and then another seven years for Rachel, and then six years for his promised uh, income. For 20 years, he was in a pause. And then God told him, it's time to go back home. And this is where we see the fourth lesson from Jacob's life. And that is that God isn't just at work in our life. While Jacob was gone, God was doing incredible things in Jacob's life and shaping his character. 
But at the same time, God was doing incredible things in the life of his brother Esau. Jacob was preparing to go back home, and he didn't know how his brother was going to receive him. He didn't know if his brother was still going to try to kill him or what was going to happen. So he sent a person to go out in front of him and tell his brother that he was coming. And that person came back and said, so Esau's on his way, (laughs) and he's got 400 men and an army coming with him. So Jacob was terrified. He didn't know what was going to happen. And so he took matters into his own hands, and he's like, okay, I'm going to split up my family. I'm going to send one of them like this way and one of them this way. So if Esau finds one of them, then maybe the other part of the family can escape. And then he also sent groups and groups and groups of gifts. He's like, I'm going to send this many sheep and this many donkeys and whatever else. And he sent them all out to meet Esau before he got there because he wanted to try to, like, get favor with Esau so Esau would wouldn't kill him. Have mercy on him. And so this is what we see happen in Genesis 33, starting in verse 1. It says, Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming with his 400 men. Then Jacob went on ahead. As he approached his brother, he bowed down to the ground seven times before him. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they both wept. We see in this moment that the pause that Jacob went through was not only for Jacob. It had to be for his brother Esau too. We don't know what would have happened if Jacob had gone home after the first seven years. If Jacob had just settled with Leah and was like, all right, fine, I'm just going to take the uglier sister and <laughs> and I'm going to go home because I don't want to work anymore. I'm done with this. And he had gone home after seven years. We have no idea if his brother would have killed him. He needed to be gone for 20 years so that this moment could happen so that he could embrace his brother and cry with his brother. And there could be that moment of redemption between the two of them. The pause was needed for both of them. And this reminded me of a scene that I had recently seen um, in a movie. Uh, The movie is The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, This is not a recommendation to see the movie, um, but there was one scene that really stuck out to me, and it was a scene where there was an accident, and the main character of the story was describing all of the moments of the day that led up to this accident taking place. He told about one person who had stopped in her home to answer the phone, And so she missed the taxi that had come for her earlier, and she had to get in a different taxi that came later. And there was another person that was completely unaware of this first person, and this other person was getting ready to go out, and she stopped to help a friend. And this is what the main character says. 
He says, sometimes we're on a collision course and we just don't know it. And if only one thing had happened differently, the taxi would have driven by. But life being what it is, a series of intersecting lives and incidents, the taxi did not go by and the driver was distracted and the driver ended up hitting one of his friends. The character did not die. Spoiler alert. But it completely changed her life because she was hit by this taxi. And what this guy is saying is that if any of those events of the day leading up to the accident had been different, if that person had not stopped to answer the phone and they had gotten to their first taxi, then the taxi would not have been there to hit her fr- his friend. But we have lives that intersect And that's what that character was trying to get across to us. However, we as Christians know and believe in a God who sees all things. That he sees every person's story. Every moment of our lives is seen by God. And he does not stop working in one person's life to work in another person's life. He works at the same time to save both of them together. The Bible tells us that he doesn't want one person to fall away or to perish. He wants all of us to be saved. And so God sees the big picture. God was not only working in Jacob's life, but he was working in Esau's life too. Sometimes we are on a collision course and we don't know it. And I believe that Jacob was on the collision course. If he had continued in his deceitful ways, and he could have ended things badly with his father-in-law, he could have settled for Leah and not received the promise that he wanted, he could have uh, been met by an angry brother, and he could have been murdered. We don't know. But Jacob was on a collision course. And I think that at the same time, Esau was on a collision course. If God had not met with him, he could have killed his brother out of hatred. But God paused both of their courses and worked in both of their lives. So we can be thankful today that God's schedule is different than ours. His plans are so much better than the plans that we have for ourselves. Number two, God pauses to deal with our character. When he deals with our character, he sets us up for the blessings that he has for us in the future. Number three, God uses pauses to teach us to persevere. He does not want us to give up halfway to the promise. He wants us to keep going. He wants us to get all that he has for us. And number four, God isn't just at work in our lives. He sees everything. And he is intimately connected with each person's story. It can be hard to wait, like we talked about at the beginning. It can be frustrating to wait. It can be upsetting when things require a longer amount of time than we had originally planned for. But God promised that he would complete 
everything that he started. So today, I just want to encourage you to think about where have you maybe stopped halfway? Where have you decided for yourself, I only planned for this much time, and this is too hard for me? And so you see maybe that promise way out there in the distance, but you said, I can't work anymore for that. I can't wait any longer. And so you veered off to the side, and you have settled for something that God did not have for you. It can be hard to wait. But God wants you to receive all of his promises. Can I pray for you this morning? Lord God, we thank you that you are at work in our lives even when we don't even know it. Lord God, even though these pauses can be so difficult for us to walk through, we know that we are not alone and that you are with us. And you've promised that at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. So I want to pray for all of my brothers and sisters here this morning that they would persevere, that they would hear your promise and that they would not give up, that they would push through to the end, knowing that you are at work in everybody's story, in every situation, you're at work. And that they would be encouraged that if they persevere, if they keep pushing, you're gonna be right there with them, encouraging them, giving them strength, giving them peace. And that when the time is right, they will receive all that you have promised them. We thank you today for your promises, God.